in the traditional Chinese medicine, there's the meridian theory of certain emotions are connected to certain organs and certain emotions will get stored in certain areas of your body. And if you don't know how to release those emotions, they become constant patterns of behaviors and those behaviors become your personality. And then that's how you show up in the world. And from like up to the age of seven, you're just an information sponge. Like you're just learning, your brain is learning how to exist in the world and what is safe and what is not. And you're creating core beliefs. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast, and I am your host, Katie Weber. I'd like to share with you a review left recently on Apple Podcasts from somebody named Scoot Scoot. It's called Chicken Soup for the Feminine ADHD Soul. I'm a young woman who has been diagnosed with ADHD for more than 12 years. I relate so much to the experiences of Katie Weber and her guests. It feels so validating to hear ADHD women talk about their challenges and the work they have done finding ways to thrive in an ADHD unfriendly world. I just played an episode to my partner while crying in recognition. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Scoot Scoot. We really do have to work hard, don't we? And there can be a lot of grief to uncover around that reality. So I'm so glad these stories are helping you feel validated even so many years after a diagnosis. If you've been listening to this podcast and loving it, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can just pause right now and just hit the five stars. Easy peasy. It helps so much in terms of getting this podcast noticed by other women who might just be starting their diagnosis journey and need to hear these stories and feel like finally they are understood and no longer alone and they've found their people. Okay, this is episode 36 in which I interview Ali Sobel. Ali is a massage therapist, a Reiki healer, and a subconscious imprinting technique practitioner. Her virtual wellness business, Mortar and Mystery, was created to empower rebellious women who are ready to cut through the bullshit, connect to their life and their self as deeply and authentically as possible, and become their own revolution. She is also the host of the fantastic podcast, Neurodivergent Dreamers, which is how I discovered her and reached out to her for this interview. We talk about the importance of rest and relaxation for our bodies but how difficult those can be for those of us with hyperactive brains. Allie also explains to me the magic behind subconscious imprinting technique and Reiki, as well as the different types of stress responses and stress cycles and how they become stored in our bodies. I thought this was all super fascinating. And we also talk about how women with ADHD can improve their body image in general and really tune into the wisdom of their own bodies. I think you'll like this one. Enjoy. Okay, so uh, my first question is, you know, when were you diagnosed and what were some of the signs that led up to your diagnosis and what was what was kind of those moments that made you th- finally realize that uh, you had ADHD? Yeah, honestly, this question when I first saw it kind of threw me for a loop because I was thinking, when did I? Because I feel like I was always, I knew something was different about me. And my dad has ADHD and I've just grown up in chaos because of it. And I didn't know that that wasn't normal. Does he, did he know he had ADHD? I mean, was this something, was this like an acronym that you knew about in growing up? Not really. I don't, I was trying to think of the first time that I'd ever heard about it. And I'm pretty sure it was from him, but 
I don't think it was until like late teens, early 20s that he really started to recognize how much of an impact it had on him. And then he started to use that terminology. And because we have such we've always been very similar, like brain people <laughs> that he was like, maybe you do also. And so I kind of understood what it was. And I understood that there was something that was keeping me from succeeding in the, my life the way that I wanted to. And it really wasn't until I was like 19 and I was trying to go to university that I was like, I feel like I'm going to need some actual help <laughs> before I try to do this because like all my other schooling was such an enormous, an enormous shit show. Yeah. <laughs> like I actually didn't even finish high school the first time around because I dropped out two months before I was graduating because I hated it so much. I thought everyone around me was just a bloody idiot. And I was like, I don't understand why people don't see this. I don't understand why school is so boring. Like I, I hated it. <laughs> I hated the structure. I hated the institution. I hated what they were teaching me. I didn't understand why do I have to learn this when I don't even like it? Why do I have to learn this the same week? Like we just learned this yesterday. Why are we still learning it? <laughs> hated everything about it. But then I was like, Hey, I feel like universe, because I grew up in a very academic household. So my both my parents were like go to university you'll probably find something the people that you like go there so I went back and got my GD to go to university but I was like hey maybe there was something else going on when I wasn't going in school so let's go and see if I can be put on a medication because at that point in my like mental health journey I thought medication was like this magical quick fix <laughs> to everything and so I went to a an ADHD clinic and got officially diagnosed for the first time. And I tried a couple different medications, but I did not like any of them. They made me either feel like a zombie or I didn't like how edgy I felt um, once they stopped working, like coming off of it at the end of the day, or it made me kind of like, it almost exacerbated my symptoms so I got very like ah like in your face all of a sudden and then just like would pull back really fast I'm like that's the opposite of what I want right now um so I just stopped taking the medications and honestly I forgot about it I forgot about having ADHD for many years <laughs> I just thought that I was like partying a lot and I just thought that this is just how you spend your early 20s. You know, you have, you can't keep a job for more than a year because you're irresponsible and you party a lot because that's, you're just exploring the world around you. And now looking back, I realized that I was surrounding myself a lot with people who weren't growing and who weren't um, moving forward and were like, for lack of a better term, fucking up because then my mistakes didn't seem so bad. <laughs> That's a and great point. Yeah. 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 I just struggled for a really long time until I tried going back to university for the second time. <laughs> and I was like, okay, for real this time, I'm actually going to get help. <laughs> uh, and at this time too, I was doing like lifestyle changes because I I was coming to the point where I was like, okay, I need to like stop drinking and doing drugs and partying all the time because I feel terrible, like absolutely terrible. And 
This time, though, I went to a, an ADHD psychologist who does neurotherapy, which is like brain training and strengthening neural pathways for focus and attention. And I did like brain scan tests. I did attention tests, focus tests, um, a lot of that kind of stuff. And they were like, yep, you have ADHD. <laughs> uh, more of a like mild to moderate. He, like, I remember him saying it's not as severe as I've seen before, but we can definitely still help you out in the areas that you want so that you can succeed in school. But that was something that you had to kind of like upkeep. And it was kind of expensive, even though he was giving me a pretty good discount because I was a student and I did it for eight months. And then I was like, okay, I'm good now. But of course I cannot maintain my own (laughs) structural habits so (laughs) that kind of fell apart eventually too it's interesting how we can oscillate between feeling like really like only five to ten percent of the population has this because I feel like everyone does you know like sort of always feeling like this isn't normal like this isn't this like you were saying like this isn't just your 20s you know (laughs) and yet so we sort of go back and forth between feeling like I feel like way more people have these issues than, than, you know, whatever they're saying five to 10% of the population. But at the same time, also always feeling like I am reacting differently from everyone else. I am lonely. I am, you know, like everyone seems to be doing something and I can't figure it out. And so there's like this sort of intense feeling of like, I am different from everybody around me, but that at the same time also feeling like, wait, I was always under the impression that everybody dealt with life this way. <laughs> and I think it's, I, I think it's fascinating how we like balance those two opposing ideas so beautifully. And I think that kept me from seeing how significant the impact was for a really long time, because I always just kind of came to the conclusion, like, well, other people have these struggles too. So I, this must be normal. Therefore I must just be like, lazy, stupid, crazy, or I'm not trying hard enough or whatever, you know, all those things that we tell ourselves. I was creating a story about who I was because of the struggles that I was having instead of just laying out the facts. I have ADHD. Therefore I'm going to have this, this, this problem. How do I approach it in a better way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Okay. And now you kind of answered this question a little bit uh, in terms of things in your past where you look back and think like, oh, the signs were always there. Of course, that was clearly ADHD because definitely in school, I certainly had a lot of that. I also, I did. Now when I dating myself, I, when I went to school in Ontario in high school, we had still had grade 13, we had OACs. And so, um, I did grade 13 and then all of my friends went to university and I didn't, my, nobody would take me. My grades weren't good enough. And so I had to redo grade 13. And there was like a handful of us who we called ourselves grade 14, who like had to redo <laughs> our senior year of high school and just to bring our grades back up again and take, and like, we were like the cool, we were like this little group of kids, like this squad of like, yeah, we're grade 14. <laughs> Um, but then I had the same experience. I went to university and then dropped out after my first year because my grades were terrible. I was like, what am I doing here? I don't, this is a total waste of time and money. And, but then at the same time, then realizing like, well, I don't really know what else to do. So I guess I should probably go back and, and pull myself 
up by the bootstraps and figure out how to do it. And that's when I did really well, you know, like that's the crazy thing. It's like, you really, it's one thing or the other. Those signs were always there. So, yeah, but I, th- I know a lot of women uh, actually do really well in school. Like not, you know, it's not, I don't think it's common, the story of just like, having an abysmal academic career. I think a lot of women actually do really well in school and still have ADHD. 100%. That's why I hate the whole like report card diagnosis because I did really well. All my comments are like, she's a pleasure to have in class. And then later when she shows up mm. <laughs> and <laughs> like, a teacher's pet and is it like super helpful and is uh, like, loves to talk with everybody and is super like collaborative and very creative. And like, that was my elementary. Those, that was great. It was, wasn't until junior high when the like social interactions started getting more complicated that it started feeling like there was this invisible wall. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I don't know how to get through it. I didn't connect with anybody really well. And I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't didn't realize that that was like a sign of ADHD till honestly like a month ago when I really started to reflect on stuff and scenarios that had happened like I remember being so hyper sometimes that I would take pencils and run up and down the hallways using the lockers like drums and just like screaming I think like (laughs) like crazy and I people used to ask me if I was high all the time Like I would say something or blurt something out or I would like overstep a boundary or something and they'd be like, are you high? I'd be like, what? No, on life maybe. And I just like, no, 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 like down the hallway (laughs) because I'm just so oblivious to that kind of stuff. It was either like I was totally oblivious or I saw it and I didn't know how to, or maybe I was oblivious because I didn't know how to get through it. So I just chose to ignore it. And I really embraced that identity I know. Right. I think that's the interesting thing about the neurodivergent spectrum, you know, like, like I have a friend who, you know, she and I got up to so much trouble growing up and she's, she was so awesome and so smart. And also like we, you know, we we were card, card, card carrying members of the gifted underachievers club. And like, you know, we had those jokes. And so when I discovered I had ADHD and sort of was coming out about it and doing more posts about ADHD and she commented on something about like, oh yeah, uh, I have social anxiety. And there was this part of me that was sort of like, you have ADHD. Like I, I didn't say that I don't like to diagnose people, but I was also sort of like, you never know. There's a lot of overlap. Maybe you should take this test. Um, but I think it's interesting, like kind of how we end up getting diagnosed, you know, because we're all sort of on this spectrum and, and some of us exhibit symptoms that end up being labeled as ADHD. Some of us exhibit symptoms that end up being labeled as autism, you know, like I think there's so many of us who kind of find ourselves on like this, this side of the tracks, <laughs> the brain tracks. Yeah. And, and all of us are, you know, part of the same, like we're all cut from the same cloth in just in terms of like, you know, what are, what are the symptoms that ended up being um, more severe or more um, amplified, you know, and then how do we end up labeling ourselves as a result? But I think, you know, that's, I feel like the more I learn about ADHD and autism and just sort of the neurodivergent spectrum, like, I feel like it's just chance that some of us get labeled one or the other. Like, I think we're all kind of sliding around on the same spectrum. 
That's why I actually, because I first, when I started my business, I used the, I used ADHD, but then I was like, well, like a lot of the stuff that I'm telling can really be used for other neurodivergence. So I'm just going to use the term neurodivergent instead with like a focus on ADHD <laughs> and like whatever you label yourself as, like that's totally personal. Yeah. Right. I know. And I, yeah, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to attract the right people. It, like I don't have to worry about that. Hey, it's Katie. Do you feel out of control around food? Do you feel mystified by the concept of intuitive eating? Are you wondering how your ADHD plays into your complicated relationship with food and your body? Do you want to make positive changes, but the thought of going on yet another diet makes you want to scream? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then you're going to want to check out my Worth It With Katie small group coaching program. We meet for six consecutive weeks in a small, supportive, virtual group led by yours truly, and we communicate with and support each other in a private online forum throughout the week between our sessions. Each week, we dive deep into our own complicated histories with dieting, body image, and exercise, and we look at these topics through the lens of ADHD and why so many of us struggle with binge eating and impulsive overeating and poor body image and self-worth. Here's some of the feedback I've been getting from the current participants in the Worth It With Katie group coaching program. One of them says, I am rethinking everything I thought I knew about health and my body. Another one says, I am loving the realness of Katie and all the other participants. This has been life-changing. I have stopped binging and my constant hunger no longer controls my day. My mental health has improved and I am happier than I have been in years. The insights into how my ADHD fits in with my history of yo-yo dieting have been revelatory. Another one says, my thinking about health, food, and my body has changed completely. And finally, this program is so, so, so good. If you're ready to ditch dieting for good and nourish your body from the inside out, head over to my website, worthitwithkatie.com slash coaching. Registration for the next group coaching program starts June 1st. And again, that's worthitwithkatie.com slash coaching. The link is in the episode show notes. Head over to find out more information and claim your spot in the next program. Um, that's interesting. Okay, so let's talk about the uh which came first it was the podcast or oh, i'm so many questions where do i start okay talk to me about <laughs> subconscious imprinting technique or like okay just even talk to me about your journey like in chronological order like what did you come across first was it you, you're a massage therapist you practice reiki which i'm also fascinated with because i freaking love it um and never really thought about <laughs> never thought about like how why it, somebody with who is neurodivergent would love Reiki, but it makes total sense to me now. Like, like I just hadn't taken the time to think about why that was so awesome. Um, okay. So I'll let you see, you pick one, pick one of the many cards I just threw at you. And <laughs> I'll try to keep it succinct and concise, but I'll start at the beginning. <laughs> okay. All right. So like I had tried to go to university three times with medication, without medication. It just like was not working. So I just quit. I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to be a writer working in a cafe for the rest of my life. And then I did that for like six months. And I was like, I hate this. <laughs> I can't do this forever for minimum wage. Like, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, Allie, let's think. What can we do that would be a career that would support the fact that I am, I need diversity and I need to be challenged, but I need to be challenged in 
a variety of ways. And massage therapy was something that I had actually considered before. And so I honestly just leapt for it. And I ended up falling in love with it because the human body is weird and it is cool. And it there the way that the it was the schooling was structured, there was like the hands-on kinesthetic learning, and then there was the sit down and learn the stuff. And so because of that combination, I was able to do really well. I was able to learn very fast. And when I did my practicum for my second year, I ended up in a studio that was run by the creators of subconscious imprinting technique. And when I was in this circle of healers, I was also exposed to Reiki. And so it was really at this point where my brain was just starting to explode (laughs) (laughs) because in massage therapy, it's a very medical scientific based um, training that you get, but pretty much any massage therapist or like physical healer will tell you there are emotional releases. Um, You have the mind body connection, which they only like just barely touch on in your training. And like, we have a psychology course, but it's like very basic cognitive um, therapy type stuff. And when I started to learn from the people that I was surrounded with in my practicum, how important the mind body connection really is, that's when I started to get more curious about like, what else is possible? Like where else, what more can I learn? And this was really the tip of where I was like, oh my God, like I'm learning so much and there's still so much to learn. (laughs) It's like, I am tip of the iceberg. And it was Reiki actually, because before this I had been like kind of witchy, but I was really resistant to it because I was like, I need facts. otherwise I'm not gonna believe it and the owner of the studio told me really pushed for me to go get Reiki training she's like I think you'd really like it like everyone here does it I think you would really enjoy it and it would really improve the quality of sessions that you're able to give your clients so I was like fine (laughs) and I went and did my first class and just like mind blown because you can feel energy And the energetic field that you have around you, like you can fine tune your senses in order to feel that. And already being a highly sensitive person because of my neurodivergency, like having that connection of like someone telling me you're not crazy, you can actually feel other people's emotions and states. You are feeling the energy of a room because you have learned how to immediately know whether something is safe or not for you. Like that is something that people learn and you learn that by like being super sensitive about the energy around you. And Reiki is just a way to connect to the universal uplifting energy to improve like healing and um, recovery. And it, helps stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest digest system, which is also super cool (laughs) because so many people 
are just stuck in stress cycles all the time and they don't even know it. But when you're in a chronic stress cycle, your immune system goes down, your digestive system is all messed up. You're lacking sleep. Your recovery time is super low. Like you just feel drained and then you hit burnout and then you're like, why is this happening to me? I'm like, it's because you're stressed out. <laughs> and it's if you're constantly in that, you don't even remember what being relaxed feels like. Mm-hmm. And So that's when I started to focus my massage even more on like relaxation techniques, which honestly kind of gets a bad rap in even the massage therapy world. Because when you think relaxation massage, you think like light touch and spas and, you know, that kind of stuff. But like relaxation massage is really just a way to turn off the sympathetic nervous system to put your entire body into a rest state so that you can your body can function the way it's supposed to. That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And heal too, right? Like, I mean, totally. yeah, I know. Well, and it's so interesting because relaxation is something that is so difficult for people with ADHD for so many layered reasons, you know, but not only do we have a history of anxiety, but also just like the dopamine effect, you know, like it's not exciting to be relaxed. And so we, it's very irritating to be relaxed, you know, like I've always joked, like my husband's idea of a perfect vacation is like, sitting in a hammock, reading a book for a week straight. And I'm like, God, no, like, just, <laughs> like, you know, like I think relaxation is something that's just inherently really difficult for us. We feel a lot of guilt when we're not active and, oh, yeah. and, but at the same time, like, like you said, like it's, it's essential to the way in which our body functions and, you know, and like, it's kind of crazy that a third of our life is spent in a conscious, unconscious state of rest. And like, we're okay with that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it just sort of goes to show how essentially important that shutdown is. And yet it's so freaking hard for us. So Yeah. And once I started to learn that too, I was like, oh, no wonder it's like, I was like, thought that it was weird that I had a hard time relaxing. And also the fact that I started focusing on relaxing. <laughs> Like my whole career became about being the coziest, (laughs) most relaxed person ever and how to get people into that state. But now I'm starting to think, oh no, that makes sense because that's something that I struggle with. So of course I want to move in that direction and I want to help other people get there too. Yeah. It was a cry for help from from deep within. Um, Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that's another realization I've had since my diagnosis, which is, you know, because I used to think of myself as this inherently lazy person who could just never get my act together. And now through the lens of my diagnosis, I realized that, no, I'm actually... Uh, somebody who who hyper focuses and is incredibly like uh, obsessively does things and is very manic and then I crash as a natural result of manic energy and so it made it much easier for me to appreciate the crashing stage as opposed to feeling like that was my default and so I've I've have a, so much less shame and guilt around lying around on the couch for a day or two or three or four, you know, because I'm like, no, this is necessary. And this is what's happening. Like I'm able to kind of talk myself through it in a way that I never was able to before. Yeah. I always think of people, they have cycles and whether your rest and go cycle is within 24 hours or like a week, you have to have both. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious, uh, Talk to me more about brain shame, because other than the fact that it sounds like such a cool game show or something, but 
I feel like this is, this is like a core element of ADHD. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. So I did the Reiki and the massage and then I graduated and I was getting bored of massage because ADHD. I was like, shit, I've done so much. Like I was doing so much training while I was in school just to keep my brain going and be able to graduate for the first time ever. And I did. And then I had done subconscious. I decided to do the subconscious imprinting training uh, sit. And sit is based off of traditional Chinese medicine and meridian theory. So we do muscle testing and it relies heavily on the mind body connection. So every time that you are put into a stress cycle, there's your HPA axis. Wait, what's HPA access? Hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal glands, HPA axis. And those are the three main things that are in your brain that are the stress response cycle. So you have your short-term stress, like if you were being chased by a bear. (laughs) And that is the stressful event that's happening. And then your hypothalamus goes on like, ah, pituitary, send help. Like something crazy is happening. (laughs) We need to go. And so then the pituitary is signaled to, don't worry, we're going to release this hormone and the adrenals are going to go, adrenals, adrenals come in. (laughs) And then, so the adrenals get turned on and they're just like, shit, we got to get more sugar into the brain. We have to pump out cortisol, stress hormone, Um, And we need to get you going real fast with adrenaline. Uh, And this is going to raise your blood pressure, get your heart going, like all of that fun stuff for the moment. (laughs) And like, that's what the ADHD brain thrives off off of is that cycle to go. Um, And then normally in this short stress response, once the bear is gone or the threat is gone, your body will regulate itself and go back into the parasympathetic state. However, (laughs) the long-term stress cycle is when that threat never goes away. Like if your boss is a stressful for you and that never goes away. So you're constantly being in this stress cycle. And so then what starts to happen is that your adrenals get super fatigued and your body starts breaking down and because your body cannot keep up with this constant stress that's happening, it turns down your immune system, um, your blood pressure can go out of control. Um, And you kind of turn into a bit of a basket case because (laughs) like your emotional intelligence gets turned down, your memory gets really crappy, like your breathing gets really erratic and your digestive system gets totally out of control like you'll either have like you just have troubles with all of like your whole body just goes wackadoodle yeah so when a stressful event happens these are the cycles that get triggered and the emotions that you experience when you're having this stress response get stored in your body and every single time that you have a trauma which is an environment, an event, a emotion, or they trigger that 
response again in your body. And so the meridian theory, like in the traditional Chinese medicine, there's the meridian theory of certain emotions are connected to certain organs and certain emotions will get stored in certain areas of your body. And if you don't know how to release those emotions, they become constant patterns of behaviors and those behaviors become your personality. And then that's how you show up in the world. And from like up to the age of seven, you're just an information sponge. Like you're just learning, your brain is learning how to exist in the world and what is safe and what is not. And you're creating core beliefs and how you're creating systems and belief systems about how the world works. And the way that you create that personality is just by going through these same things over and over and over again. But then you become an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and if those experiences are creating behaviors and patterns that no longer serve you, but you're just like, why does this keep happening? Like, why do I keep getting stuck in toxic relationships? Or why can't I experience love in a healthy way or even sometimes chronic pain like people can hold on to um, emotional pain that shows up as physical pain so why do I have this pain in my ankle for like a decade and no matter who I see nobody can figure out what's going on and so subconscious imprinting is a way to figure out what event originally triggered the behavior pattern or pain that you're experiencing now, connecting the two and then removing it with um, personalized forgiveness statements and statements for love and connection to replace it with what you actually want to be happening. So you're creating new neural pathways for what you actually want. And then you can show up in the way that you actually desire. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I'm very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and in fact, it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it's so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. The service is available for clients worldwide, so there's a broad range of expertise, which may not be available locally for a lot of us. Also, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at BetterHelp.com. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash women ADHD. And how do you even begin to pinpoint what event in your history? Because like, this is the thing that always confuses me about ADHD symptoms in general, which is like, you know, so we talk about comorbidities all the time. And it's a phrase that even the term comorbidity is confusing to me because it feels to me like, you know, there is like so much of depression and anxiety, especially in women is related to not having your diagnosis or not understanding the diagnosis. And, and so you have these medical professionals who are saying, well, these are all symptoms of trauma. 
you know, these are symptoms of, of PTSD. This isn't ADHD. And then you think, well, yes, but because I was this growing up in a neurotypical environment where I experienced trauma all the time as a result of my undiagnosed ADHD, how do I know, even begin to know this chicken or egg? Like I, how do you, how can you just sort of dismiss this as trauma when all of this trauma is derived from this yeah, like diagnosis, right? And so I'm like, if you're talking about the ankle that might have a connection to something in your childhood, like how do you even begin to uncover that? This is the kind of magical part. (laughs) I like to think of it as magic, but really it's just muscle testing. So, oh, so it's almost like hypnosis through muscle testing or something or, okay, I'll let you talk. I'm sorry. It's like I use my intuition because I do these um, sessions virtually. Like if it was in person, I would actually hold your hand and test your body, but I can also use my intuition to figure out what is going on. So I would just ask you like, focus on the thing that you want to change. And then I go through all of the organ and systems in your body. I ask what age it's, what age this thing happened at. And I will then ask you like, okay, can, can you tell me why you would be feeling betrayal, guilt, anger, and overjoy? around the time you were 12. And usually that will trigger a memory in somebody and they'll be like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that usually is enough information for like a very significant memory to come up. Or honestly, I can even do a session even if you don't remember exactly what it was. Like I can do more generalized statements, but usually there's like something very specific happened to you and the lang- and then I use the language that that person uses and puts them and I put them into the personalized statements and connect it to um, the what they're experiencing now in order to move them forward, break the pattern. Mm, that is so interesting. It's you know, really I, fucking cool. <laughs> it is, you know, because yeah, I mean, I think about like with my work in terms of body image and diet and um. Uh, diet recovery, right? Like I, when I was writing my book, I had this very visceral memory from my childhood where I was in fourth or fifth grade and our French teacher was teaching us about kilograms. And so she decided she was going to put a scale on the ground and like everybody in the class had to weigh themselves. And then we would do the calculation from pound to kilo. And that was how we were going to learn about kilograms in French class. Like it was so, like, now I look back and I'm like, that's so random. And I, I don't yeah. think there was any, I mean, I think it was totally innocent what she was, I think she just was like, oh, I think this is a great idea. But, um, you know, it was that moment where I realized that I weighed the most of all the girls in my class. And so, and then I inherently knew because I live in this society that like, that was a terrible thing. And that was sort of the moment that I, it was like this confirmation in my mind that I needed to be smaller and I needed to be really embarrassed. And like all of this, just like shame spiral that came out of that one seemingly innocent experience. And whenever I tell that story, people are like that French teacher, she's horrible. She should have been fired. And I was like, I genuinely don't think she thought, I mean, I don't think she had that in mind at all. I think she just was was doing it maliciously. And most people don't because they are not aware of their own body bias. Exactly. Right. And I think, you know, and, and, you know, when there's, 
12 girls in your class, somebody has to weigh the most. (laughs) So why not me? You know, I also was the tallest, but that I didn't make that register, you know, I didn't register that as a fifth grader. It was just the sort of confirmation that, oh my God, this is now this reality. And it, and it, I feel like it radically altered my identity moving forward in terms of how I viewed myself as a, as a, girl and as a woman and an adolescence and my mother always sort of being like, Oh, I feel so sad for you. Let's go on a diet together. And that then just, you know, then it just like the dominoes kept going. So, but it was funny because I, I don't even, people are always like, how did that memory come to you? And I have no idea. I just was sort of writing my book and I was thinking like any memory I have before that moment, I have, I, I never thought about my body size. I never thought about anything um, in terms of how I looked. And then from that moment on, there was this sort of this awareness that had come to me. And so it's funny, like, it's funny when you pinpoint those, those pivotal moments almost accidentally. (laughs) Yeah. And it's crazy how your body remembers. Yeah. Yeah. So, and for Reiki, I feel like if there's somebody listening who has no background on Reiki at all, can you just give a little explanation as to like, what are you actually doing when you do Reiki. (laughs) (laughs) So Reiki is a traditional Japanese relaxation technique, and it is a channeling of divine energy from through me. Like I am not creating it. I'm just channeling it from wherever you want to think it's coming from the universe, using my hands to direct it into you, which then increases your life force energy and this can be very uplifting relaxing a lot of people get tired which i think is honestly just your body's way of like accepting it (laughs) i get really cold oh yeah and there's usually temperature changes and everyone experiences it a little bit differently and like sessions can go they can be very basic like wow i feel really good now like i'm ready for a nap and that's just your body's way of regulating itself or I've had times where I like share memories with people. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Again, I feel like that connection between being highly sensitive, feeling energy. I think that's something that so many of us have. I always referred to it as like the vibe where, I, you know, where my friends would always be like, I used to use it a lot with dating because I was always sort of like felt like friends of mine would be like, why are you so confident when it comes to dating people? And I was like, cause you can just, you just know when you meet somebody, if they're attracted to you or not. And they're like, no, you don't. You have to play all sorts of games and you have to do this and you have to do that. And I was like, no, no, no. There's like, there's like a vibe, you know? And I was always trying to explain what the vibe was and nobody ever knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, so now I'm like, I feel very vindicated that this is all. <laughs> Uh, that this is all connected with that energy. Yeah. And I feel like it's, I struggle sometimes to explain energy type work. And when it comes to the points where it's kind of like, woo woo. Yeah. (laughs) Because it is hard to explain. It's something, it's an experience. And the only thing I can say is that there are so many people that are having similar fantastical transformations that there is something to it. Mm-hmm. And it's not an isolated event. There has actually been research done on Reiki and its ability to increase recovery time and healing and stuff. And like the subconscious imprinting, there are tons of case studies. Um, yeah, I think you, I think oftentimes you have 
some sort of intense transformative experience. And then you're like, what the hell just happened? I now I need to do all of the like geeky science research because there has to be an explanation for this. You know, like I kind of had that experience with like aromatherapy. I use aromatherapy with my clients. And, and so there's a lot of overlap in terms of just the hypothalamus and that, that in the, um, the limbic system and, and the way in which scent, you know, directly infiltrates your limbic system in a way that other senses don't. And so like, I was super, I like geeked out and hyper-focused on that forever when I, but it was because I had noticed that I was having these kind of physical reactions to aromatherapy and was like, why is that? Now I'm going to have to obsessively research the science aspects of it. But I, so I think it, it doesn't necessarily go the other way around. It's not like convince me about your woo woo Reiki. And if you tell me enough weird sciencey things, maybe I will try it. Like, I think usually you kind of accidentally stumble upon things that are mind altering and then you're like, Oh, okay. I want to find out why this is happening. Yeah. I feel like there's something to be said about like you you tend to be attracted to the things that are for you. Mm, yeah, that's true. The universe has its ways. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I just try not to think about it too much because it hurts my brain. <laughs> I know, right? Seriously, I know. I was laughing before we, when you were talking about like brain explosions and you were like pressing on your forehead. I'm like, I feel like we always have that stuff in common where it's like we talk about we talk about thoughts like in this way where they're just like so crazy and, and, and intense and explosions and swarms and tornadoes. And like this is like how it we describe our lives. I know, right? So yeah, so I think we should all be very grateful that there's somebody who's, whose work is helping us actually relax. Now, is that are those the kind of clients that you work with? Are you working with people who come to you who are working through trauma or physical injury? Or how do people usually end up coming and finding you? In what state are they in? All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I work in a clinic in person for massage I do tend to get a little bit of everything and the people that continually come to me are the people who are looking for the relaxation. Mm -hmm. um, and for, and the Reiki I do in person and virtually as well. That is usually something that I add on to massage or add on to sit because it's always kind of a part of my treatments, even if I don't explicitly say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for the subconscious imprinting, it's generally people that are coming with um, emotional stuff that they want to go through that is manifesting as physical barriers to whatever they want to accomplish. Like if it's a fear of judgment that they're experiencing that is keeping them from getting, moving on into a new career, or if it's um, an exhaustion, like a chronic exhaustion that they're like, I just want to stop feeling tired so I can play with my children. Um, or if it's something like I am struggling to be, to choose a partner to be happy because I was, I had a terrible ex-husband or something mm -hmm. like 
really all across the board. And I focus on the ADHD and the neurodivergency because I do believe that there are very particular hurdles that we come up against, like brain shame and that fear of being judged and the rejection sensitivity. Like it's just, it's more intense. But I don't like to treat people like they are only their ADHD because you are a whole human being. <laughs> and your ADHD gives you a unique experience, but also your experience is always human. If that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great, that's a very eloquent way of putting it. Um, in terms of just like ADHD kind of helps you label some important personality uh, traits. <laughs> in a way that I think is very helpful for us. Um, yeah, but it, yeah, but I, I think it is also important to remember that like we are still human beings and that yeah, this isn't like our human race. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, you know, this is the special milk that people with ADHD drink and this is the, this is the ADHD <laughs> water fountain. You know, like I feel like you could get into some really like Orwellian issues there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you talk about like the ADHD subset of society. Uh, now I'm curious also with body image, because I know you do do, you do have the, um, not a course. What am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Workbook. workbook. Yes. Thank you. You have that workbook. And um, I just love your perspective on, you know, sort of that overlap of, of shame and guilt that we tend to tend to experience and how that kind of manifests itself in our body image as, women, but I think anyone can really experience that. Um, so I'm curious, like, what are some realizations that you have made in terms of like specific issues that somebody with ADHD might experience with body image? Have you? I think it's kind of that like all or nothing mentality and the extremes. Like I find for me personally, it was always like one extreme or the other. I had a real hard time <laughs> being okay, being in the middle. And when that came to body image um, and my relationship with food and my relationship with my body, it was really tumultuous. And I have noticed that it's usually, you can, sometimes people fall in the middle, but usually if you have ADHD, you can hyper-focus on your body and that can lead to things like eating disorders or body dysmorphia or or then on the other end you just don't connect to your body at all like you could care less because you're so overwhelmed by literally everything else that's going on in your life <clears throat> but then that's neglectful of the thing that you live in which is important <laughs> right <laughs> and i think coming to a place of trust and acceptance can be hard because people with ADHD often live in their brains. <laughs> like you're in your mind a lot and grounding back into your body and being present in the moment is hard <laughs> and remembering to like cook or remembering like grocery shopping can be really hard or remembering to cook meals or like personally I hate eating the same thing more than twice in a row meal prep not a thing I cannot do it 
I absolutely hate it. I hate the textures of frozen foods. So it has to be fresh, but I really struggle with like making a list and making like plans. Like it's the whole process of it can be super overwhelming. And instead of like, I used to get just really upset and then I would shut down and not do anything. Or I would get so obsessed with it that that was my entire life. Like that was my entire life for about two years, which just being really obsessed with how my body looked and how I, what I was putting into it. And I thought that I was being healthy, but it was such a rigid way of being that it wasn't actually. And I just feel like when there's more, when you can really connect to your intuition about how your body is feeling and what it actually needs, the whole process becomes so much easier. And that was really the turning point for me was when I learned that your body has its own intelligence and you can ask it (laughs) things. And like, I started very small, like I would just hold food up to my chest and I'd be like, body, do you want this? And if it swayed forward, it was yes. And if it swayed back, it was no. And some things really surprised me and then some things didn't really, and it changed from day to day. And so I just learned to start trusting what my body wanted instead of what I thought was right. Like I always thought that I had to eat like a multiple, a multitude of like different nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables and grains. And, but that whole process of learning, like what was quote unquote healthy was not fun. (laughs) And when I learned to just start asking my body what it wanted, what I started eating was just like balanced and I didn't have to try. I just had to tune in. When you were talking about trust and acceptance, I mean, that seems to me at the core of the difficulty that we experience. Like, like we were talking about before, like I think self-acceptance is really difficult because it is boring. Uh, and and so like not only is there the issue of not trusting yourself because you don't react, you know, your whole life you felt like you were supposed to be acting a certain way and you weren't. And so we don't have a lot of trust in who we are. We find ourselves very puzzling and very confusing. But at the same time, like just being like, just be, just accept who you are and love yourself in the moment is very like, it's boring. I mean, you know, I think that like, it's not within our natural, uh, it's not in our natural tendency because I think our natural tendency is to be angsty and to figure things out. You know, like I used to always joke if somebody said, you, you think too much and you're like, damn, I do think too much. Oh my God. How am I going to stop thinking so much? I know I'm going to read a book about thinking so much. Oh, I got to listen to this. I got to Google this. We're going to figure this out. We are going to figure this out today. You know, yeah. And then being like, <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. never mind. You know? And so it's that same idea of like somebody being like, you need to chill out. And then also and then getting like hyper obsessed of like, oh, okay. How am I going to chill out better than anyone's ever chilled out ever before? You know? <laughs> so like, I think that's like a lifelong process of just like not working, yeah. you know, like, and, and yeah. I think that also it's sort of plays spiral. back into that, right. That same topic of like how relaxation is difficult. And like this idea of just 
realizing, I love what you said about the body's wisdom too. Cause I feel like I talk about that a lot with the gut, you know, and how I'm like, when I work with teenagers, I always talk about like your brain. And I was like the thoughts that are going through your brain about who you are and what you, how you look like and, and, and what you should or shouldn't be doing. Like those thoughts aren't necessarily thoughts that you came up with yourself. They've been sort of planted there from various, you know, exposures within society. They can't necessarily be trusted as much as your gut, your gut is another brain that is in your body and it never lies to you. It always tells you the truth, you know? And so like realizing that there are, there are other brains, there's your heart, your brain and your gut. And these are like these wisdom centers, you know, and that the, these two, these two have a trustworthiness that this one doesn't necessarily always have. And so I, yeah, I really lie to you, but your body will never. Right. Yeah. And so I loved even what you were saying about like the swaying back and forth, which is like, it's a little woo woo, but at the same time, you're sort of like, no, like just taking that time to stop and ask, you know, do I want this? And, and, and like, that was one of, I think it was one of your podcast episodes where you were talking about that, where you were like, body, what do you think? And I was like, I feel like I've said those exact words too, with some of the clients I worked with, which is like, you know, you know, what would you like me to do next? Or, you know, with even with yoga, you know, it's sort of like being able to be in those moments where you can get out of your head and get into your body and think like, Mm -hmm. do I want to go deeper? Do I not, you know, and like, um, having those beautiful moments where you are submitting, submit, you know, you're submitting control to the, the part of you that is constantly working to heal and help you, you know, it's like this idea of like, no matter how much shit you heap on your body in terms of how much you hate how it looks and how it does all it does is keep you alive and heal you and heal cuts and 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 it's like you can just be like I hate those thighs and your whole body's like okay well we're just gonna keep walking we just we just gonna keep keeping you alive like it's like this thing that has one job which is to keep you healthy and alive and then you just shit all over <laughs> it's just like, yeah. and it still like, always works for you and I think it's just such a beautiful like simple way to look at your body yeah you know that actually that triggers something that like um that I think is what allowed me to move from a place of a lot of body shame into body love is that I just started appreciating it for the little things mm-hmm. like when I started realizing that my body does so much and all of the shit that I have been through in my life it has always been here for me and it has protected me and in those hard hard like real fucked up times it allowed me to exist and survive like wow thank you body thank you and I'll sometimes just hug myself and be like thank you sweet sweet body for always being here for me and always protecting me and allowing me to be here now yeah And even a lot of the like sort of quote unquote unhealthy ways in which we deal with stress and trauma in life often are ways in which we are protecting ourselves or or acts of self-care. And so like I've talked about this in the past about binge eating too, where I'm like so many women get so worked up about binge eating. I have to stop it. I have to stop it. This is so terrible. Oh my God, how can I stop it? And then when you start to realize that the act of binge eating is actually sort of an act of care, you know, in which you are sort of helping your body in this moment of crisis 
this and that you're doing and, and, or you think about like children, children who tend to binge eat, usually they're doing, they're just giving themselves a hug the only way they know how in that moment, you know? And that's like, there's, when you start to look at these behaviors that people get so wrapped up with shame about, and you start to actually look at them as ways in which you are actually just trying to take care of yourself in the best way you knew how in the moment, you know? And that's like, you totally just like reframes everything and like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. We're, we're in, you know, we're doing, we're just trying to take care. (laughs) That's all we're doing. We're just trying to do the best we can. Yeah. There was, um, one thing someone taught me a while ago that I did for a while and then I just forgot to do it, but I'm remembering now. Uh, she said, you can put your hand on your heart and one on your belly and look at yourself in the mirror in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And I just like, Ugh. <laughs> the feel um, that like, come out. and it's like, my body's like, oh yeah. Yeah, that is beautiful. I love those beautiful moments um, in in self-appreciation. I don't feel like we don't have them enough. Um, I want to talk about how people can find you and work with you, but also you've got your workbook, you have the podcast. What else have we not covered yet? You do work virtually, but you also see yeah. clients in Edmonton at a clinic. Yeah, <clears throat> and all of that, all the links are on my website and all the things. That's it right now. I have things in the works, but I was definitely putting too much on my plate. So (laughs) I sort of like uh, rewind a little bit and I'm taking a step back to just sort of look at things and figure out what I'm actually capable of doing without becoming a total workaholic. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Let me know if you figure that one out. (laughs) I have a coach now, so I'm hoping she'll help. (laughs) You are fascinating and I can't wait to see what else you put into the world. A book probably is in the works. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, that's exciting. All right. Well, thank you, Allie. Thank you, Katie. This is amazing. Thanks so much. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback. And I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com or on Apple Podcasts or Audible or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is women and ADHD podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.